I couldn't think of a title for tonight's message, so I'm just going to have to use what it says right above chapter 31 of my Bible. Vengeance on Midian. That'll have to work. I couldn't think of a title of how this all got put together. Said that there. Let's read in Numbers chapter 31, verses 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Avenge the people of Israel on the Midianites. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm men from among you for the war, that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. To get a little bit of uh, history as to why the Israelites are about to go to war with the Midianites, we need to go back to Numbers chapter 25. So let's go back to Numbers chapter 25. We're going to look at... Uh, why they're going to war with them, what was the purpose, what was happening, what had the Midianites done that was worthy of the Israelites going to war with them. Because in war, what happens? People die. People get killed, people get hurt. And in this war, there was a lot of people about to be slaughtered. And when that happens in today's day, we have protesters. We have people that get irate. But we also have weird reasons why countries are at war. If you don't know, there's a country in Africa that's at war where over a half a million people have died. A little country called Darfur. Why are they at war with each other? Look into it. If you're a Christian, you should know about that place. Numbers chapter 25, let's read. We're going to read, uh, read for a little while. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to to their sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal at Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal at Peor. Verse 6. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to, the, to his family, in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting, when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both, both of them the man of Israel, and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000 people. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, in that he was jealous with, <clears throat> with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. I'm going to stop right there. So what do we see? We see these Midianites, as well as a few Moabites, we see them coming to the nation Israel and causing them to stumble. Causing them to, it uses strong language, causing them to whore after them to commit acts of adultery, to commit acts of idolatry. And the result of this was a war. The, 
result of this was 24,000 Israelites from the 12 tribes being killed. 24,000. The Lord caused a plague and 24,000 toast. Gone. This may not seem so big. This may not seem like it's a, it's a huge issue, but it really is. There's a huge, huge, huge issue that happened. There's something big that's going on, and you might not have caught it yet. You might not understand, well, why? Why did he have to kill 24,000? Why did he have to kill them? Why did he just smack them on the rear? Why did he just send them to detention? Why did he just put them in the, in the cupboard for a while? Do whatever. Do whatever it takes. Why, why, why the murder? Why the genocide? Why, why did this have to happen? The Midianites were responsible for this. They were responsible for corrupting Israel. What was Israel? Israel was God's chosen people. God's chosen race on the face of this earth. The people whom he would use to display his glory. The people whom he would use to go around and say, Hey, this is what God's like. And they corrupted those people. You go all the way back from chapter 22 where you have the story of Balak and Balaam and you're trying, they're trying, trying to get Balaam to curse, them, curse the Israelites. Balaam won't do it. No, 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 no. How can I curse what well, God is blessed? But as you read through the scripture and you find all the way up to Revelation, Balaam is referenced as being the one who told the Midianites how to corrupt the Israelites. He said, bring your women amongst them. Bring your women amongst them. They'll fall. They'll chase after them. And they'll fall. They'll worship their gods. They'll give sacrifices to their gods. They won't serve the true God, but they'll go after your God. They'll forsake the true God. And 24,000 of them did. And 24,000 of them died. What if, what if that's the way it was today? What if, you know, that question comes up, is it okay to date a non-believer? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. I don't mean to say that like if somebody asks that in all sincerity, they're dumb. That's not what I mean it like. But the question's been asked too many times to not know the answer. Something is seriously wrong because you will fall to their God. You will fall, and you will fall hard. And need I say, if you're dating a non-believer, you don't even care about them. It's not, not the fact that just that they're going to bring you down. It's you don't even care about them. You'd rather them go to hell so you can date them then you would not date them and have them possibly go to heaven. That's where your concerns are at, if that's what's going on. If you know somebody that's doing that. It sounds strong, but it's true. Think about it. You might say, well, what? why did God have to go to war with the Midianites? The Israelites were the ones that sinned. Well, the Midianites were the ones that corrupted Israel. And God first started, as we know from 1 Peter 4, 7, the judgment of God starts at the house of God. He started with the Israelites. 24,000 24, of them smoked. Now we're getting to the Midianites. Let's talk about sin for just a second before we get to this Midianite. Let's talk about why sin can be, can be bad. Okay, let's talk about why it can be so evil and not good. I'm going to use what my pastor talked about this past Sunday. And it shows how willing sin is. How, how free and willing we, we sin when we sin. Okay? When we commit a transgression, when we do something we know is wrong, we do it willingly. We know it's wrong and we say, I'm going to do it anyway. But the way people talk about sin nowadays is we talk about it like it's, it's some vortex. Like, when, when I sinned, I wasn't myself. 
it wasn't really me that did it. I just, I just had a bad day. And we, we excuse it. We lay it under the table. You know, well, you know, this is what happened, and one thing led to another. And, oh, no, you sinned flat out. That's what happened. Nobody really walks down this street, you know, carrying a soda can, turns around, throws it in the guy's window, and it lands on the guy, gets soda all over him. And it looks at the guy and goes, Sinner saved by grace, man, sorry. Vortex. It just happened. It just happened. No. Anytime you lust whether it be towards a person or towards a thing, you know what you're saying to the Lord? You're saying, you're not beautiful enough for me. You're saying, you don't satisfy me enough. I've got to find it somewhere else, whether a thing or a person. Every time you get overcome by fear about money, you know what you're saying to God? You're saying, God, you, you won't provide for me. I don't trust you enough to provide for me. I've got to take this in my own hands. It's a big slap in the face of somebody who created the entire world out of nothing. I think he can create a few bucks if you need it. If it's for your good, he's going to take care of it. When we sin, it's, it's a lack of faith. It is a showing of God not as who he really is. It is us not glorifying God as we should. Let's continue reading in Numbers chapter 31. Let's read verses 4 through 8. They're getting ready to go to war. Here we go. Some people are about to die. You shall send a thousand from each of the tribes of Israel to the war. So there were provided out of the thousands of Israel a thousand from each tribe, twelve thousand armed for war, half of the number that were killed. And Moses sent to them, sent them to the war, a thousand from each tribe, together with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, with the vessels, with the vessels of the sanctuary and the trumpets for the alarm in his hand. They warred against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses and killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of their slain, Levi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. And they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. So because this, this country stumbled another country, this country stumbled God's people, that was reason for them to die. But what, what's the real reason here? What? What was at stake here? Something was at stake that caused God to want to go to war and slaughter an entire people. Take them out. All of them. Get rid of them. And this is also a picture of something. Was this war really necessary? Absolutely. Why was it necessary? Because there's one thing you read from Genesis all the way to Revelation. There's one thing that God is more concerned about than any other thing in the rest of Scripture. And that was being at stake. That was being taken for granted. That was at stake right here in this passage. What's God most concerned about? God's most concerned about one thing. Can anybody tell me what that one thing is? Everybody better be screaming their heads off right now. What is God most concerned about? I'm going to pause until I get an answer. Thank you. Right answer. God is most concerned about His glory, and His glory was at stake. The Israelites had taken His glory and ran it through the mud. They had belittled God's name. They went to this other country and said, Who cares? We're just like you. Who cares? God isn't glorious. We, we can worship these other 
idols. We can worship these other things. Now, from a man's point of view, from, from the humanistic point of view, that's not anything. That's why atheists just don't get it. They see everything from a humanistic point of view. What about from God's point of view? God is more concerned about His glory than anything. And a question that might rise in your mind, as it did in mine, first time I've ever heard that, was, well, what about me? I, th- I thought God loved me. I thought God was concerned about me. I, th- I thought Jesus died for me. It doesn't say uh, God sent His only Son to save His glory. It, it said to save me. What, what do I mean? Let me suggest to you this. If God was not concerned about His own glory, there would be no love for me and you. There would be no love for anyone if God was not concerned about His glory. Richard Baxter says it like this, God glorifying Himself and saving His people are not two decrees with God, but one decree. To glorify His mercy and their salvation, though we may say that one is the end of the other, so I think they should be with us united indeed. God's glory is most important because in His glory He is able to manifest Himself to us. He's able to save His children. Only if He's concerned about His glory, number one. Well, how do we know that? Look to the Bible. Isaiah 43.7 tells us we were created for the glory of God. If you don't like the way that it sounds that God's glory is most important, you were created for the glory of God. It's also echoed in Isaiah 29, 23, Psalms 100, verse 3, and Ephesians 2, 10. You're God's workmanship. You're created for God's glory. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 10, it says this, Jesus is coming back to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who believe. That's why Christ is coming back. Again, that verse is 2 Thessalonians 1.10. Let me ask you tonight, what do you marvel at? Do you marvel at Jesus? When, when Jesus' name is said, what, what's the first reaction you have? Oh, shoot. Or is it... Is it thankfulness? Is it gratefulness? Is it wonder that fills your heart? Do you look at Christ as no big deal? Or do you you stand in awe of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? When, when worship songs are sang, when hymns are read, when the scriptures read out loud, what resonates in your heart? Christ is coming to be marveled at, to be looked at with big eyes, to be looked at with awe-inspired love. And if you're not that way now, how are you going to be that way when He comes back? When He fills the sky like lightning, how are you going to look to Him and marvel at Him then? You won't. Same with your non-believing friends or non-believing family members. When you speak to them, find out what they think about the risen Lord. What's their view on who Jesus is? Because there's a view on Jesus from America. You know, me and Jesus were like this. You know, Jesus is my homeboy. But Jesus is coming to be marveled at. Why? Because He's worthy. 
of us marveling at him. I want to give to you some scriptures, but first I want to ask you a question. This has to do with marveling at Christ. By show of hands, how many of you want to be happy? Show of hands. Every li- if you want to be happy, lift your hand. Hi, i got to see him. Okay, that should be everybody's hand. Even if you don't think you want to be happy, you trust me, you want to be happy. We'll sit down and talk afterwards if you don't believe me. But what makes you happy? Different strokes for different folks, right? What makes you happy? Anybody see Spider-Man 3? Thank you. Okay, I'm just going to say What, what did, uh, you guys know what Venom was? The, okay. What did he say made him happy? I like being angry. It makes me happy. What makes you happy? Does, does God make you happy? Or does pride make you happy? Or does being in the spotlight make you happy? Does lust make you happy? Does shopping make you happy? Do clothes make you happy? Does your car make you happy? Or does God make you happy? Did you guys know that happiness in God is not a suggestion in the Bible? Did you know it doesn't say, well, if if you'd like to, be happy in God. No, it commands and demands that you be happy in God. That's a command to every person. But the only way you will ever be happy is if you do what? The only way to be happy in God is to glorify God. As the old catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God by... Enjoying Him forever. God is to be enjoyed. Christ is to be enjoyed. Day in, day out. Christ is not to be looked at as boring. If He was looked at as boring to you, then you don't know who Jesus is. The last thing Jesus is, is boring. We just prayed up here a few moments ago for Ken Hovind who's in jail. How many Christians are in jail right now? Thousands. Why? Because they don't see Jesus as boring. Did you know we have brothers and sisters who are over in Islamic countries who were Islam, and God has revealed Himself to them? They have chosen to live a God-glorifying life, and they are beaten day in, day out. They were forsaken by their families. They were written off. Their mother and father say they don't even know their son or daughter anymore. There's lots of people in chains because they don't see Jesus as boring. We see Jesus as just a a Sunday thing, a Wednesday thing. Is Is that how we see Christ? Or do we see Christ as most glorious, most satisfying? Not boring, but exciting. The life lived for Christ is exciting. If it's not, you're not seeing it correctly. One reason we don't see it correctly is because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And what God has chosen to do is chosen to reconcile us to be able to see and experience and enjoy His glory. If Christ only came to forgive you of your sins and it accomplished nothing else, you would be left high and dry. Forgiveness of sins is a means to get somewhere. It's not the end. Forgiveness of sins gets you somewhere. It gets you into the glory of God. It gets you into the presence of God. To the Christian, 
God is described in Psalms 43.4 as my exceeding joy. Exceeding joy. I'm going to give you some scriptures where it shows where it is demanded. It is absolutely demanded and commanded to be happy in God. Psalms 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord. You hear that? That's not a suggestion. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That's a big, big promise. That's amazing. Delight yourself in God, and the desires of your heart are going to be satisfied. And the desires of your heart will not be the same as the desires they once were. Psalms 36.8 says, Men drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give to them the drink of the river of your delights. There's enjoyment that must be found in the worship of God. When you're worshiping God, it's not just singing. There's enjoyment to it. You don't even have to open your mouth to enjoy worshiping God. The Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalms 34, 8. Then how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalms 119, 103, or as I call it, the Jeremy Modern Translation, to say that verse another way. God's word is sweeter than the birthday cake remix in Cold Stone. It's the most delicious ice cream there ever was. If you don't think so, you're wrong. I thought I'd get a bigger laugh. That's okay. Psalm 1611 says this about God. It says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures evermore. Happiness. Joy. Always, every day. If you're not experiencing that, you are not experiencing the life of a Christian every single day. If you're bummed out, if you're sad all the time, if Tragedies always have you down. If, if you're the person that always just seems, something's always, you know, not good. You're never happy. Something's wrong. Paul sang praises to God when he was chained in the Philippian jail, which is like a dungeon, basically. No lights. No three meals a day. No television. No weight room. No, nothing. And he sang praises to God. Why? Because he found something more satisfying than anything this world will ever give you. More satisfying than sex. More satisfying than alcohol. More satisfying than surfing. More satisfying than fast cars. More satisfying than money. More satisfying than clothes. More satisfying than video games. I say that just in case. More satisfying than your boyfriend or your girlfriend. More satisfying than your wife or your husband. More satisfying than anything. And if God isn't satisfying to you like that, if you don't find satisfaction in God, get on your knees quickly. You're not just going to get it by walking around. You're not just going to get it by, well, hope someday I find that satisfaction. Then you're going to have to go to the King. You're going to have to go to Christ to get it. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. What did we just read? Or what did song did we just sing? We sang, we sang Psalms 84, correct? Turn your Bible to Psalms 84. Psalms 84, 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper 
in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold uprightly from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Verse 1 also says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Your spirit is water to my soul. I've tasted, I've seen. See my paper fly over. What's What's blocking your view? Let's go back into Numbers. What's blocking your view? What's keeping you from seeing God as most satisfying? I bet you know what it is. It's going to be that sin that so easily entangles you. It's going to be that every single time. Whether that sin is pride, whether that sin is covetousness, idolatry, adultery, fornication, stealing, whatever it is, it's going to block your view. Let's pick up in verse 9. And the people of Israel took captive the women of Midian and their little ones, and they took as plunder all their cattle, their flocks, and their goods, all their cities and the places where they lived, and all their encampments they burned with fire, and took the spoil and the plunder both of men and of beast. Then they brought the captives and the plunder and the spoil to Moses and to Eleazar the priest, and to the congregation of the people of Israel at the camp of the plains of Moab by the Jordan of Jericho. Verse 13. Moses and Eleazar the priests and all the chiefs of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. And Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of the thousands, and the commanders of the hundreds who had come from service in the war. So he sends them off to war and they come back and he's ticked off at them. Thanks, General. But there's reason. Let's look at it. Moses said to them, Have you let all the women live? Behold, these on Balaam's advice cursed the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came upon the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known man by lying with him. But all the young girls who have not known man by lying with him keep alive for yourselves. That's where we're going to end the passage tonight. It would just take me way too long. We don't have the time to get through the rest of it. There's a few startling Startling things in there. Moses is ticked off because all they did was kill the adult males. They let all the women live and they let all the kids live. You wretched Israelites, can't you kill some kids? Does that sound weird? Does that sound weird? If that doesn't sound a little weird to you, you're not reading it. Okay? We brush off the Old Testament, we just push it under the rug. But this is one reason people attack the Bible. They say, oh, God is just in killing little kids. It says right there, little ones. Killing women? I mean, what, what's the thing you hear first? Women and children first. Whoop. Right? When, there, when there's danger, it's women and children first. But Moses is telling them to kill them. Take them out. No more. Why? Because these were the ones, these were the exact people who defamed the name of the Lord by causing the Israelites to stumble. What did Jesus say? It's basically better to be dead than to cause any of his little ones to stumble. This is also a picture of the the fight against sin. When the Bible speaks, sometimes it uses very, very violent words. Kill. Slaughter. 
split. They had to all be killed off so the bloodline would not continue. What happened to King Saul? He let some live and then his demise, his own death, was by the ones he didn't kill. There's a famous saying, and it goes along with Romans chapter 8. It's be killing sin, lest sin be killing you. If they would not have went after these Midianites, the Midianites would have went after them. You can't kill somebody's spouse, because all the males were dead, right? There were some married women. You can't kill somebody's spouse without them wanting vengeance on you. So they killed them all off. The reason the young girls were left behind is because there's something through the scriptures that the bloodline really continues through the male. The name really goes on through the male, right? The sin heritage we have, it all comes through Adam, because he was the male. Christ's father was God. The holy bloodline is God. God, Christ. It's the father. So the males were done away with. Any woman who had known a man, done away with. No blood was to be left. No Midianite blood was to be left. The same for me and you. No sin is to be left unchecked. No sin is to be left unslaughtered, unkilled. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to close it off. If you're having trouble finding happiness in God, if you are not happy in God, hopefully this will help you. And I, I don't mean... Are you just happy in general? Do you, do you think you're a happy person? Because if you're just happy in life and you're not happy in God, you are missing out. You have a much lesser happiness. You have a much lesser joy than what those who have Christ hold on to. And if everyone here is a believer, fantastic. Praise the Lord. But I bet you you know many people who aren't believers. I do. Romans chapter 8. Let's start in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's it. These are very, very, very violent words when you look at it. Verse 13 is what we're going to hone in on here. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live with the Midianites, you will be one of the 24,000. You will be toast. This is not speaking of the first death. This is not speaking of the death we all will face. This is speaking of the second death. The eternal death. Because why? Everyone dies. Okay, so if this is... Everyone dies, so does this mean those who don't live according to the flesh, we live on, we never die? No, 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 no. We'll die the first death. This excludes the first death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You have to put them to death. You cannot just sit back, relax, and watch them go away. The Christian life is an active life. It's a life that is engaged in culture. It is a life that is engaged in the church. And I just don't mean at a building, because obviously we're outside right now. But you're engaged with the body of Christ. If you're not, you're not living the Christian life. It is a life that is engaged overseas, whether you go or whether you pray. It is a life that is engaged in killing sin, in facing sin head-on, and using what is called the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6. This is your sword right here. If you're going to fight sin, you're going to need a sword. You're going to need an offensive weapon. 
You're going to need something to stab with. You're going to need something to jab with. You're going to need something to cut with. It slices. It dices. Right? You're going to need something. Because that sin is going to block your, block your view. And, and I, I, I hate this illustration, but it's, it's, it works. When the sun is out, the sun is how big? It's, it's huge. It's a lot bigger than the earth is, right? Okay, so the sun is huge. We see it from a distance. What's it take to block the sun from your eye? One finger. How much sin does it take to block your view of God, right? One sin. If you're not happy in God, if you find yourself just moaning and saddened and just down and out because you can't find satisfaction in God, get the stinking finger away from your eye. Kill it. Chop it off. Isn't that what Jesus said to do? Didn't he use violent words? If your right eye causes you to sin, what are you supposed to do? Pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's, it's that simple. It's so easy. It's so easy, yet it's the sin that easily entangles us. And yeah, you've heard, you've heard people talk about sin every day since you were how old? I've been in church, we've heard talking about sin before. Blah, 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 sin, 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 who cares? If you don't care, something's wrong. You better care. Because whether you're fighting sin or not, let me tell you something, sin is fighting you. It's coming at you every day, it's coming at you from every angle, and if you don't have your shield of faith up, you don't have your sword of the spirit up, your helmet, your helmet of salvation, I think that's right. You're going to lose the battle. And guess what? Christians don't lose. We don't lose the eternal battle. You might have gotten knocked down, but you're going to get back up. If you've just gotten warped this past week, pick your sword back up, pick your shield back up, and go right back into the fight. Go right back in, take all of them. Take all the sin out. Take it Take it out. And, and if somebody, you're worried about what somebody thinks of you, you're worried about, well, so-and-so will think I'm a, I'm a loser because this and that. I don't care. That's so lame. Who cares what man thinks about you? You should care what God thinks about you. That's why I'm tired of hearing people on TV a lot talk about, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? i got a better question. What is Jesus going to do with you? If you're a Christian, you're, you're welcomed into the family. You're picked up when you fall. But if you're ashamed of him and his words in this generation, he will be ashamed of you. That shouldn't scare you if you're a believer. You should be comforted by that. Because if you, What's the opposite of that? If you're not ashamed, he is not ashamed of you. got to remove the sin. We've got to. We've got to cut it off. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much that you are good to us. And Lord, I just pray, God, that any of my words that came out, Lord, that you just, Lord, you would cut them off, Lord, that they would not reach a single ear. But Lord, I pray that your words would resonate in our hearts tonight. God, I pray that we would find satisfaction in you, Lord. Although it is expressed in many different ways, Lord, I just ask that we would all find that deep satisfaction in you, God. And if sin is entangling us and keeping us from that, Lord, I just pray that you would remove it from us, Lord. You clear our eyes 
you'd open up our hearts to receive your joy. Lord, we can be happy in this life. And Lord, if I pray, if I've been a bad example of that happiness while sitting up here, that you would just blind everyone's memory of it, Lord. And God, we just thank you so much for being so good to us. That you would go to such great lengths to reveal yourself to us. That we would be satisfied by enjoying you, God. We would be satisfied by giving you all the glory. By marveling at you. By looking to you and being so happy that you are greater than anything. And I pray for everyone who's here tonight, Lord. If there are those here who are not marveling at you, I pray that you would open their eyes, God. And for any believers struggling, fighting the fight of faith, fighting against sin, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes, you would continue to reveal yourself to them every day, that they would stand tall and they would stand strong. And Lord, I just pray over this study, Lord, each and every week just heard so many good things about it, and seeing the fruit come through it. I just pray you'd have your hand over it continually and you would minister to those who come in week in, week out, minister to Josh and minister through him, Lord, and through all those that are involved, Lord. Any guest speakers they have come out, Lord, to speak through them for the guys that are going to do the upcoming devotionals, Lord, that you would guide them in your word, that they would take handling your word seriously. The teaching just wouldn't be a thing that they can get stared at while they stand up here for five minutes, Lord, because I know that is a temptation for me every time. But that it would be a time where we take it seriously. We take your word very serious because in your word, you have shown us the, the words of eternal life. You've showed us how to look to you. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here in the fellowship with my brothers and sisters. I just pray that we would go here in a deeper and closer relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Behind me. Amen. Wasn't that a blessing, family? You know, I love what he said. I love when he said, the Christian life is an active life. And the question is, if you're not active, are you a Christian? And the question that's posed to my mind is, if I'm a Christian, then I'm active. So what am I going to do about what was just said? If I'm a Christian and I'm active, then something's got to be cut off. Something's got to be dealt with. I've got to move forward. I've got to be active. And family, that's what I want to do just in this time. Snap, Josh. We're already convicted, man. No moss. Family, let's move forward. Let's move forward in our walks together. Let's become those men and women that God has called us to be. Let's stop messing around with the sin of this world. It's going to kill us. It's going to mess us up. Let's make decisions tonight. Right now, in this moment. That's what I want to do. Is if you're serious about being active in your walk, and you're serious about making a move and cutting it off, and that you would right now. I'm going to give you that opportunity. And I'm going to too, in my time. That we would need not only hearers of the word, but doers right now. And so, if God has spoken to your heart, as He has mine, 
and you are a Christian, you want to be active, then you know the thing that God is speaking to you about. You know what you need to cut off. You know what you need to pursue. And we need to make that decision within our hearts right now, I think. And if you do not want to make the decision, then do not call yourself an active Christian. I do not want to persuade and push you to do something. But family, it's crucial. We've got to. There isn't much time. There are people hurting. I hear God calling to me from the sky like, Josh, when are you going to become that man? When are you going to take the next step forward? When are you going to pursue me more? When are you ready to cut off more? Now. Right now. I will not go another second nor another minute without making the decision within my heart. And I believe that we as a family can come together and say yay and amen to that. I want to make that decision. I want to cut that off. I want to move forward. I'm ready to be active right now. And so that's what we're going to do, family, right now. I'm just going to give us about a minute and a half, okay, two minutes. Maybe this will be just the beginning to the journey that you have with God tonight. But right now, I want you to examine yourselves. Right now, we're just going to bow our head. We're just going to go into some quiet time. If you want to walk off, you want to do it, that's okay. Whatever you want to do, just for a minute and a half, two minutes here. And I want us to examine. And the thing that God has spoken to us about individually, I want us to make a decision, a conscious decision. Talk to your king. Remember, none of this praying in our mind stuff. I would encourage you, because your mind will wander, I would encourage you to... to Open your mouth and speak words, not loud enough so that people can hear you, but just loud enough so you can hear yourself and you know what you're saying and talk it over with the king. And if you're deciding to make a decision with the Lord, then do it right now. And talk it over with the Lord and say, Lord, I'm ready to cut this off or cut that off. I'm ready to start to pursuing you in this manner or that manner. Amen? Can we do that? Let's take this seriously. And if, and if that's not you and you're not ready to take this seriously right now, then that's okay. You continue in your way. But those of you who are willing and want to make a decision right now, then here is the time. Here is the moment. Let's take advantage. Let's talk to our God. And Father, we hear your voice. We sense your spirit. And Lord, the decisions that we've made, God, help us. The flesh is so strong. But I pray that we would destroy it. And that we would fight against it. And you'd give us great strength to overpower every single day. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us tonight, God. You didn't have to do that. You're a great king that you would even pay attention to us. As much as we run from you. But God, I just would ask for these tonight that have made decisions to follow you, that you would minister to them as they go away. And that you would help them, Lord, and encourage them, God, and that we would tap into you and spending time with you really getting close to you. Making a conscious decision to cut off the things that are holding us back from you. And making a conscious decision right now in this moment to move forward in our walks and seeking you. And knowing that we need to spend time with you. We need to talk to you individually. Quiet time in our closets. So please, Lord, give us hearts like that. Help us, King. We thank you for all that you've done tonight. We look forward to the work that you're going to do in us. Bless your people. 
Keep them from temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's to you. It's true. Our lives are made to glorify you. And so we give them to you in this moment. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.